Welcome to Nothing Ventured, a podcast exploring the stories that make the incredible world of tech and venture tick. Join me, Arish Shah, as I speak to the founders, investors, and ecosystem operators trying to make a dent in the future. Hello, and welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I'm super excited to have with me David Miles. David is a senior investment manager at the Foresight Group, a private equity firm with over £8 billion of assets under management and investing from the earliest stages all the way through to larger £1 to £5 million deals at the private equity end of the market. He has been with the group since 2012, training as a fund accountant before moving into the private equity team in 2016. David, welcome to the podcast. Really great to have you here. Thanks, Arish. Great to be here. Amazing. So jumping straight in, Foresight has been operating for 35 years. Can you talk us through a little bit of the evolution of the fund over time? Yeah, sure. So Foresight was founded in in the mid-80s, originally as a, a technology-focused venture capital investor. And the, the two founders, one of whom remains as, as the group chairman, had some strong early successes, most notably with a business called Jamalto, which was a smart SIM card manufacturer. Following that, Foresight raised one of the first venture capital trust schemes, or VCTs, when the scheme was introduced by the government in the mid-90s. And, and that fund, which is called Foresight VCT, is still raising today and, and making investments. Following that, the investment strategy transitioned away from being solely focused on technology to being more of a generalist approach, targeting businesses across all sectors. And the fund continues to target kind of high growth venture investments, but also looked at kind of later stage, I guess what you might call private equity opportunities. So businesses that were profitable and have a bit more of a stable kind of trading history, or a bit of a longer trading history. Over the last 15 years or so, a couple of things have happened which have really changed what Foresight looks like. So firstly, we established an infrastructure arm of the business with a particular focus on the transition to net zero and decarbonization. So that means investing in kind of renewable energy projects and the deployment of other technologies that support the grid's transition to, to renewables, as well as other asset classes such as forestry. So that, that's what we call our infrastructure team. On the private exercise side, which is where I sit, we've raised a number of new funds, particularly over the last sort of 10 years or so, growing our assets under management to, to close to a billion today. The VCTs remain a really key part of what we do, particularly on the kind of growth, the growth side, but we've also raised several buyout funds, which are focused on, as I say, kind of private equity transactions. And we now manage a couple of regional development capital funds as well, which support early stage businesses in specific parts of the UK. So those, those all those kind of regional buyout and, and development capital funds have led us to open five offices across the UK since 2013, as, as we really believe that you know, a local presence across the UK gives the best access to high quality SMEs for investment. We've also established an exciting partnership with Williams Advanced Engineering to invest in early stage IP rich businesses. And we built up a growing lending business where we look to provide flexible credit lines to, to kind of alternative lenders to allow them to scale. And that business has been growing really nicely as well. And that kind of takes us beyond the one to five check, uh, check space in that, in that lending side. That's amazing. That's quite a lot to, to get your teeth into. I mean, just a couple of a couple of things that came out of that that I think are really interesting. So something that I'm very passionate about is getting capital outside of London. And what I mean by that is ensuring that founders outside of the M25 have access to the same sort of quality capital as those of us living in the city. I take your point that having kind of boots on the ground in those areas is really important. But how do you also get the message out to those regions that not only are you there and is your presence there, but you know how do you make it known to founders, operators, 
traders and others in those regions that you know you're open for business and and that you are the right type of investor for them. Yeah, so I guess it's it's a high activity model, and you know, like you say, boots on the ground is really important because I think particularly for those regions outside of London, it's really important to to have a local presence and show that you you, you understand the region and and all of that. But yeah, as I say, high activity model. So it's, it's getting to know all the all the deal introducers in the region, corporate finance advisors and, and the like, hosting events, doing lots of great PR and 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 I think we do really well in that department as well. But yeah, get, getting out there, feet on the street is super important and getting to meet people and, and sort of tell the foresight story, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that venture is a passive game. It's a very active game. You've got to be out there all the time. But moving moving on to kind of your own story a little bit, you, you've essentially spent your entire career at Foresight, starting as a fund accountant before moving into investment. What led you to make that switch from operations to investment? And, and what did you have to learn or unlearn in order to do that? And that's something that's actually pretty close to my heart, being an accountant by training, never really having practice, but then got into operating and looking at investing as part of my future kind of trajectory. It'd be super interesting to, to understand how you how you made that switch. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a slightly unconventional way into the world of investment. But I suppose, you know, the first thing I would say is that understanding accountancy is is, is a really, yeah, it's a really useful skill in the world of private equity and, and venture capital. So it was, yeah, it's really important that I got that experience early in my career, I think. While I was doing that, while I was in that fund accountant role, a lot of what I was doing, or I was quite involved in the process of reporting on our portfolio companies on a sort of quarterly basis and, and how they were valued and all that kind of stuff. And that made me realize like, you know, on the investment side, these guys were working with a bunch of really interesting companies across different sectors, facing different challenges and opportunities to grow. And I just thought that was really interesting. And I love the idea of kind of opening BBC News every morning and reading the headlines and thinking, right, how is this going to affect one of the companies in my portfolio? Or how does that make me feel differently about an investment that we that we might be doing at the moment? So I found that really fascinating. I've been very fortunate that yeah, the whole time I've been at Foresight, it's been growing rapidly. So there's always been opportunities to kind of put your hand up and get involved in, in new areas of the business. One project I did sort of en route to joining the investment team was actually going in-house at one of our portfolio companies for about six months, which, you know, gave me a really good insight into like, you know, the challenges faced by management teams running a small business and, and hopefully has given me a bit of a bit of management empathy and understanding of the way those guys think. And then joining the investment team in terms of kind of what my learnings were, I guess, you know, one of the big things was discovering how much of the job of investing is about people. And you, you said going right from the start, you know, you, you mentioned it's not a passive game. You know, you've got to build relationships with people to, to even see deals, let alone to, to get them over the line. So I think I think understanding that was a, was a really key learning. Yeah, so much of what we do is about working closely with management teams to understand you know, what they might want from a deal, how to help their business grow. And I think it's really important to develop those softer people skills alongside the more technical stuff like being able to understand the legal document or, or read a balance sheet. That was probably my key learning. Yeah, I think I always talk about it in terms of, you know, as a CFO, you've got to be able to go beyond the numbers to see the story. And it sounds like that's a very similar sort of theme from what you're saying there. It's, you know, having the ability to understand what the numbers mean, but then being able to look beyond them and think through, well, what does that mean in terms of growth and opportunity rather than just sort of black and white? What is the revenue going to look like? What is the bottom line going to look like? J- just out of interest, like, I mean, what, what were, what as a fund account, what are the key sort of 
of metrics that you'd be looking at across a fund? Would it be things like MOIC or DPI? What what are the kind of key metrics that that you know VCs and funds look at? Because I certainly know what you know founders and, and ventures look at, but it's always good to understand what's important to the investor. Well, I guess in terms of kind of the individual businesses or the fund as a whole, I, you know, I guess. Well, I guess maybe, but, yeah, maybe both actually. That that would be quite interesting to explore both of those. Yeah, so I, I guess in terms of a fund, I, I guess we're always very closely following IRR and sort of deployment rates because because if you don't get the money out the door, it's very hard to make the return. So those I guess are the key bits that we're we're looking at from a fund level. From an investment standpoint, uh, you know, in, individual investments, I think is, the range of KPIs you could be looking at is differs hugely depending on the sector. So when you think about e-commerce, it's it's a, it's a lot about cost to acquire customers and lifetime value and repeat rate. Whereas for a you know for a software business, you're very laser focused on churn and things like that. So yeah, I think I think the KPIs massively change depending on the sectors you're looking at. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there is no one magic bullet number, but there are certainly a range of numbers that I think both as founders and investors, one should you know should have at top of mind. And in fact, actually, that's a great kind of way to segue into to, to my next question because I'd love to understand a little more about the investment strategy across the various stages of the fund, which you know, as you said earlier, encompass everything from EIS to early stage venture to growth and and far beyond that. So, do you think about the evolution of ventures coming in at the earlier stages and whether they would be suitable for later stage investment, or do you compartmentalize between them? You know, are they is there kind of a domino sort of strategy within the fund where you're looking to, to invest across stages? Yeah, so uh, look, I think what we're trying to do at Foresight is really become the SME investor of choice. So we want to be able to support businesses across the life the, the spectrum. So as you say, from early stage through to those later stage those later stage buyouts, and uh, we break the stages down as I as I briefly touched on before into, into five areas. So we've got a regional development capital, venture, growth, buyout, and lending, and, and I think that sort of gives the spectrum of, of different types of companies in the SME space. On the regional development capital and venture side, you know, we're looking at high growth businesses that have the capacity for very high returns, and they tend to have characteristics that prove their lot, yeah, other than financials, that will prove their long-term value. So often in the technology can be in the form of kind of defensible IP. So for example, one of the businesses we back from our Williams Fund is a, is a business called Refine, which has developed a scientific instrument for measuring biomolecules using light scattering technology. So sort of proprietary tech, got some IP, you know, that business is, a, is at an early stage, but 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 has some some real value locked up in that IP. And then on the growth strategy, we're typically looking to support businesses that have established some commercial traction. So they've typically got revenues of kind of one to two million and above, and they're looking to ramp those up by taking on growth finance. So yeah, another example would be a, a software business we backed about three years ago called Acrosoft in the HR tech space. So they had several million pounds of revenue and some great customers, but they wanted to take on funding to kind of build out that sales team and expand their presence. And that's kind of, yes, that was how we got involved. For buyouts, we're targeting businesses that are more profitable and stable with probably a, a longer trading history than the other strategies. And the lending portfolio looks for asset-backed opportunities with highly stable income. So almost kind of the lowest risk, if you like, part of the part of the spectrum. But across all five of those, I think there are numerous characteristics Characteristics that are that are common. So we're always looking to partner with ambitious founders and management teams to help them grow their business. I think that 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 is absolutely the same throughout the whole process. And some companies will sit across various different buckets. So for example, when we backed Mobley Street Food, we invested from both one of our buyout funds and our growth fund because it actually had you know a need and and met the criteria for both. And then I think you asked at the start, kind of in terms of do we think about the evolution? And I think absolutely. You know, we set up to support businesses from the very early stage through the kind of growth journey and. 
and even on to releasing equity for founders as they as they develop and gain traction. Some of our early stage opportunities from the kind of regional development capital and venture funds have gone on to benefit from from the support of the larger VCT funds as they've as they've started to build revenues. An example of that would be a business called Codeplay, which has taken investment from both the Williams and the VCT funds. And equally, there are there are numerous examples of, of businesses that have taken kind of growth funds and then gone on to take some money from our buyout funds to release equity for the management team. Yeah, I think there are two two things there that really stood out. I mean, the whole piece makes sense. And I think it's very comforting as a founder to know that, you know, if you have an investor that can grow with you, then that makes the journey that much easier. Not that that means that you will always take the capital from, you know, from foresight necessarily, but it, it means that there is the option that you know the team, you know the style, you know the investment manager or the or, or the partner that you're working with. And, and therefore you have that as a, as a I, I guess, as not as a safety net, but certainly as a, a great kind of recourse as you're growing. And a couple of things that you said there that were really, I think, important and interesting. One of the things was that you are very founder focused, which I think the more and more VCs I speak to, and, and certainly, you know, even within the, the private equity funds that I've spoken to in the past as well, that clearly is one of the most important traits or, or things rather that, that investors are looking at, which I think is something that is almost underappreciated by founders, right? In the sense that founders think that if you have just a great product or you have, you know, the right distribution, uh, that's all that it takes. But actually nine times out of 10, if the founder themselves is not the right fit or doesn't have that something, that special something, let's call it, then investments that much harder. And the second thing that I thought was really interesting again, and I, I was going to actually ask you this as a separate question, was the fact that you guys do secondary rounds as well. So you, you, you can give liquidity back to founders, which again, I think is hugely important as, as companies grow and scale for, for founders to be able to take some of their risk off the table, because why, why should they potentially have to wait 10, 15 years to see some liquidity when actually taking some liquidity or taking some of that risk off the table early on may help them be more motivated to see a bigger outcome down the track. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And as I say, it's sort of we've got these different pots of money and, and sometimes companies fall into more than one. And that means that's great. That means we can support them from a couple of different funds, one which might provide growth capital and one which might provide that liquidity. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a nice competitive advantage when it works. Yeah, everything always is. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, venture in the UK and probably Europe for that matter is often accused of being much more risk averse than say the West Coast US investors and is more focused at later stage, you know, with businesses with traction. Do you think this is fair or even true? Because you guys see across the whole the whole gamut. Yes. I mean, I think when lots of people think about West Coast VC, I think they tend to think about those kind of top performing funds that have had, you know, a lot of great successes in, you know, lots of high profile successes and have tended to back companies from an early stage. I think it's worth remembering that, you know, beyond those, there is a large ecosystem in the US of VC of VC funds that that probably have a slightly more risk averse approach than those top funds, but they don't necessarily make the headlines as much. But but even with those, you know, those those top guys, you know, they haven't had that great success without having the appropriate attitude to risk. So there was a really interesting thing that Bessemer Ventures published a few years ago, which I think is still available online, where they published some of the investment papers of some of their most successful investments like LinkedIn, Shopify, Pinterest. And I think what was really interesting reading that is the multiples they were paying weren't, you know, they weren't dissimilar to what we see in the UK. I don't think they look, you know, outrageous. And there was a lot of downside structuring in those investments as well. So, you know, those 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 guys that have had those great successes by getting into some of these big companies early, you know, have made sure that they've got the appropriate downside 
downside structuring and, and that's why probably they've been so successful and at the, at the end of the day there are different investors in, in all markets with different attitudes to risk I think Foresight's view is probably we don't need every opportunity we back to be a unicorn and we like to focus on companies that you know have got a, a, a good sustainable growth plan and so that yeah that's our approach and then just uh, yeah kind of on your question I, I read an article that was in Fortune a few a few months ago which said that European VCs actually outperformed US VC over the past 20 years which, which is interesting I think I think the, the difference between the two is the sort of top performing US funds have massively outperformed the top performing European funds but as a, as a sort of homogenous group yeah I think I think Europe's kind of in the ascendancy at the moment yeah hence why a lot of US VCs are coming here but I, I'd like so a couple of things there first of all for our listeners the Bessemer memos is at bvp.com forward slash memos I, I have that on my mobile phone I refer to it quite often because it's, I think it's it, a great it's a great resource that they've that they've published yeah absolutely really useful really valuable to understand not only how they think but also how you as a founder potentially or even as an investor should look at deals as they come through and that very self-same article that you talked about about European VCs outperforming US I was going to say when you look at the average but of course we all know that venture is not a game of averages it's a game of power law and therefore outliers so you have to look at those top performing top decile top top quartile funds so so for you what are the most important things when you're evaluating a potential investment and and I mean appreciating obviously as you said earlier that for for each different venture and and stage it, it potentially changes a bit but is it team is it traction is it tech or is it something else altogether and how much does that change as you move up from venture to private equity yeah so i think you might guess my answer based on some of the things we've already talked about but i think any stage of, of sme investment the team is just it's hugely important because these are fundamentally very small businesses and and you know the individuals can make a huge impact but you know saying that the founding team can't necessarily do it on their own and i do think the support of a, of a collaborative investor like foresight can really help with some of that some of those growing pains equally you know we often support our teams through identifying senior professionals to join the board as, as chair and, and non-execs. And these tend to be kind of heavy hitters from the industry who can add significant value by helping to identify kind of how best to grow and, and, and run the strategy and how to avoid any trap doors. So just an example, when we invested in Mowgli Street Food, Karen Jones joined as, as chair. Karen founded Cafe Rouge. She chairs Hawksmoor and, and, and also sits on the board of Deliveroo now. So she's kind of brings a, a huge amount of industry expertise to what is quite a small business in this been really helpful in sort of supporting that founding team who have also are also extremely high quality to make that business a, a success. I think defensibility is certainly important, you know, whether that's through technology or, or something else like a unique business model or, or brand and, and traction, I think, you know, almost becomes less important as you move through those stages. I think at the early stage, you know, when you're when your financials perhaps aren't, you know, you don't have it, huge revenues, it's really important to understand what the traction looks like and the directional travel. But I think it becomes possibly slightly less important as, as the you know, once the business has been around for several decades and has a very proven model. But yeah, so I think team has got to be it for me in terms of throughout the stages, that's the most important thing to the success of the business. Yeah, I think you're now the like 40th person I've spoken to who has said very much a similar sort of thing. And and I think it is, it is really important to reflect on a couple of things again that you said there. It is both about the founding team, not the founder. So I think the founder is important, but it's a team that they grow around them. But equally, I see a lot of decks with 30 advisors, which, which is often ludicrous or, or unbelievable. But having one or two really strong advisors is, I think, a massive plus, especially at the earlier stages, because they will both protect you from kind of problem 
problematic investors potentially or problematic kind of term sheets, but they'll also be able to act as a sounding board as as, as you're going down that that path. And I think it is the ability to attract great people which forges great businesses, you know. And and I think it's only from there that you then build the tech or build the traction or build the IP that supports that. So so how have you seen the market evolve over the last five or ten years? And what sort of macro trends do you think we're seeing at the moment? And you know we're recording this in early March, so you know we currently have obviously some massive conflict in Ukraine, which obviously is is causing massive issues both for the people of Ukraine, but obviously at a global level, just as as the entire world kind of reacts to what's going on in events over there. But if if one were to strip those out and look at the broader macro trends in general, what what would you say is happening, and what do you think? What is it like direction of travel for tech at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I think, yeah, over the last five or ten years, I think we've seen really strong demand from investors to, to to access private equity and venture capital funds, and I think that's been driven in part by by the low interest rate environment, which is which has driven traditionally more risk averse investors towards seek higher returns on their capital. But at the same time, I think we've seen improving returns from from PE and VC. So you know, I think average IRRs are twenty percent since two thousand eleven. When you stretch that back to nineteen eighty, it's more like fifteen percent. So I think you know those investors have also been seeing a great return, which is another reason they they like it as an asset class. One of the big macro trends, and I'm sure I won't be the first person to have said this, is is the ESG focus from the industry. I think we believe that SMEs have a, have a, have a massive role to play in driving long-term sustainable economic growth through you know continuous change and improvement. But I think some SMEs you know they struggle to identify how to harness some of these improvements, sustainability, and adapt to, to some of these challenges like climate change and human rights and, and globalization. So yeah, I think the help of a, an investor is, is crucial to ensuring these are at the heart of business. And we try to do this through a, a kind of systematic approach. And we won't be the only investor doing this by any means. But I think it's something that any kind of founders listening to this will will need to know that their investors will be thinking really hard about this stuff and, and how they can make improvements. Yeah, we've got some great, you know, some great examples in the portfolio. One of the companies, Outkit, which is an outdoor clothing and equipment retailer, became a B Corp in 2020 and, and has loads of great initiatives to sort of mend and, and repair its kit and great initiatives like its Outkit Foundation, which helped to get over 30,000 people from inner cities into the great outdoors. But it just goes to show, you know, relatively small companies can have a huge impact if they, they put their minds to it. Interestingly, you are one of the first to talk about ESG specifically. And I think it is very important, but unfortunately, I think it gets lost amongst a lot of performative, you know, a performative talk around the subject rather than actual serious tackling of that. But I mean, clearly we're seeing more and more businesses traveling down the sustainability route. People are thinking very hard about carbon footprints. I think the biggest challenge with ESG is always how do you measure it in a way that is sensible, both for the venture as well as for the investor, because, you know, as with all things, right, where you have multiple stakeholders involved, there can be zero sum games where you don't really, when you don't really want to go down that path. So I think it's absolutely incredible that you guys continue to champion that. And I think it's really important for founders to understand the importance of that to investors as they continue to build their ventures. So look, finally, this pod is called Nothing Ventured for a reason. We like to get to the root of what it means to be an entrepreneur and that entrepreneurial spirit. I'd love to understand from you the sort of advice you'd give to entrepreneurs looking to launch something today. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's a I think it's a great time to be an entrepreneur in the UK. I think there's loads of support around and lots of investors and and yeah, it's, it's a great time. Yeah, one thing I think I think founders should think about is is the kind of investor they want to partner with and whether aligning the ambitions of the investor with that of the of, of the team and ensuring that that's that's the right partnership. So I mentioned before, but you know, at Foresight we very much think about sustainable growth. We see ourselves as a long term investor and we recognise that not 
not every business has to be a unicorn and that won't necessarily be the approach of, of, of all funders out there. But, you know, we think that works for the vast majority of, of, of founders we meet. Amazing. David, I really want to thank you for joining me here on the podcast today. It's been absolutely incredible speaking to you and, and wonderful learning more about Foresight and, and your journey with them. For our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you or for that matter, Foresight online? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Or where, where is the best place for them to look for you? Yeah, I think probably LinkedIn and then our website, www.foresightgroup.eu. Absolutely wonderful. David, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thanks very much, Harris. Great, great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Nothing Ventured, an Emerge One production. Follow us on social and at nothingventured.tech to make sure you never miss another episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support us by giving us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners to understand the topics and guests that they'd like to hear about and from most. Drop us a message via the links in the show notes. And thanks again for your support.